And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, <laughs> listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. <laughs> I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. Comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, Bennett Kilpack stars as the kindly old detective Mr. Keen, tracer of lost persons. Then, Gracie tries to find a movie job for one of her friends on part one of a comedy episode of The Burns and Allen Show from 1950. But first, let me say hello to my executive producer, Mike Gastello. What's up, Mike? Hey, Carl. What's going on? Is Lisa lost? Yeah, no, there's no Lisa on this edition of... Hollywood 360. It's Rosh Hashanah. Oh. So she took off. Yeah. Okay. Fair She's enough. probably somewhere listening to the show right now. I guess this is acceptable. Yeah, it is. Well, on this edition, we're going to start things off with Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons. You know, there's not a lot of these episodes in existence, just a few, like a handful of shows. But it aired for so long, aired from 1937 all the way to 1955. They did not do a good job of preserving these shows. So we just have a few. We have one for us uh, on this edition. This show was produced by Frank and Ann Hummert. Bennett Kilpack was the longest-running Mr. Keene, but there were other actors, Arthur Hughes and Philip Clark. They played Keene, the elderly and kind detective with a faithful assistant, Mike Clancy, played by Jim Kelly. Now, the series first started out as a detective who searched for missing persons, hence the title, but eventually it morphed into a full-on detective series where he solved every kind of crime, including murder. It was sponsored over the run by Anison Dentine and RCA Victor. We have an episode now from January 5th, 1950. It's called The Case of the Rushville Murder. It stars Bennett Kilpack. Here's part one of Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons. It's time now for Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons. Ladies and gentlemen, Anison and Kalinos present Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons. One of the most famous characters of American fiction in one of radio's most thrilling dramas. Tonight and every Thursday at the same time, the famous old investigator takes from his file and brings to us one of his most celebrated missing persons cases. Tonight's case is entitled, The Case of the Rushville Murder. Now for Mr. Keene and the case of the Rushville Murder. Our scene opens in the home of Dr. Prentice, a well-known physician and psychiatrist who resides in the small New Jersey community of Rushville. The doctor's daughter, a tall, lovely young girl, is just reaching for the telephone, which has been ringing insistently, as if aware of the urgency of this particular call. Hello? Laura? 
This is Dad. Oh, where are you, Father? At the hospital. But I'm coming right home, Laura. After I hang up, be sure to shut and bolt all the doors and windows. Why? What's happened, Dad? One of my patients has just escaped from the hospital. She's a homicidal maniac, Laura, and extremely dangerous. Father, there was something I wanted to tell you. Later, my dear. Right now, you do as I ask. This insane patient of mine is under the delusion that I'm her enemy, and she may head for the house immediately. I've already informed the police. All right, Father. And don't let anyone inside the house. I'll be home in 20 minutes. Goodbye, Laura. Goodbye. There. I've shut and locked all the windows. Who's there? Oh, no. No, we're not going to... No. No, don't touch me. Put down that knife. No! My daughter was found by the police five minutes after I had phoned her, Mr. Keene. She'd been stabbed to death with a kitchen knife. Tell me, were all the windows and doors in your home locked as you had asked, Dr. Prentice? No, Mr. Keene. The windows were shut, but apparently Laura never had time to lock the back door that leads to the kitchen before Natalie Craven, the insane patient, reached the house. Chance preserve us. Dr. Prentice, your insane patient seemed to head for your home immediately after escaping from the hospital. Yes. That's a little odd in itself. But I told you how this patient felt about me, Mr. Keene. I'd treated her for a mental disorder for two years, but she developed a fixation about me and began to feel that I was her mortal enemy. Well, you were devoting your time to bring her back to sanity. Yes, Mr. Keene. But what I meant, Dr. Prentice, is this. You were in the hospital at the time of the insane woman's escape. Now, if she wanted to murder you, why didn't she attack you after you left the building? Why did she come to your home instead and attack your daughter? The mind of a psychiatric reacts in odd ways, Mr. Keene. This woman, Nettie Craven, may have thought I'd left the hospital. Then, finding I wasn't at home, she must have attacked my daughter, Laura, to revenge herself on me. Oh, I see what you mean, Doctor. Since the death of my wife, Mr. Keene, there have been only two things in my life. My work and my daughter, Laura. Laura is gone now. But I still have my work. And I intend to carry on. Naturally. I... I don't want Nettie Craven punished for the crime. She's completely insane. But she must be caught and returned to the hospital before she claims another victim. You, for instance, Dr. Punches? Oh, I wasn't thinking of myself. I'm thinking of others. That's why I've come to you, Mr. Keene. The police are on the case, of course. And if an investigator of your ability also enters it and works along with them, the woman will be captured all the sooner. I intend to do everything I can, Dr. Prentice. Oh, thank you, Mr. Keene. Needless to say, you'll be doing a great public service. Yeah, but we're also thinking about you, Dr. Prentice. Oh, please don't worry about me, Mr. Clancy. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to do a little prescribing in this particular case, Dr. Prentice. Uh, where is your home? In New Jersey, a town called Rushville. Well, Rushville is just across the river. That's right, Mr. Clancy. Dr. Prentice, I'd like to exchange house keys with you. I'd like you to stay in my apartment until this case is over. Mike and I will stay in your house. But my work, Mr. Keene, my practice... Well, it'll be better for you to miss a few days' work now, Doc, than to end up with no work at all. You mean, you think Nettie Craven will try to make me her next victim? If this insane woman killed your daughter, yes. I insist that you take these precautions, Doctor. Well, in that case, I'll do as you ask, Mr. Keene. Fine. And be careful yourself. 
I needn't remind you that a homicidal case like Nettie's is most dangerous. Well, I'm aware of that, Dr. Prentice. There's just one thing I'd like to add, Mr. King. If a young man named John Digby calls, try to break the news of Laura's murder as gently as possible. John is Laura's husband. Husband, eh? Was he living in your home too, Doctor? No. As a matter of fact, my daughter Laura had just come back to my house the day before. She and John were married only a month ago. They had a childish quarrel. I see. Oh, it was nothing at all, Mr. King. John's a fine boy, and I was certain I could have patched things up between them. You tried to notify him of Laura's death, didn't you, Dr. Prentice? Yes, but I couldn't reach him anywhere. Very well, Dr. Prentice. You can proceed to my home immediately. I'll notify the hospital you won't be available for a few days. Meanwhile, Mike and I will bend every effort to put our hands on this Rushville murderer before another victim is added to the list. Well, the light switch must be on this wall here, Mr. Keene, sir. Oh, here it is. Well, Dr. Prentice seems to have a very comfortable home, Mike. I'm sure, and it's too bad he lost his daughter. It's pretty tough for a man to go through something like that, Mr. Keene. Yes, but he still has his work, and he's one of the best in the profession. If we can... Boss, just a minute. I thought I heard someone move around the next room. You're right, Mike. There's someone here. Open that door. I'd better have my gun handy, just in case. Who are you? Stand where you are, mister. Don't move. What are you, thieves? No, young man. We happen to be working with the police. The police? What are you doing here in Dr. Prentice's home? Come to talk to my wife. His wife? This must be young John Digby, boss. Laura's husband. How did you know my name? Your father-in-law, Dr. Prentice, told us about you, John. My name is Keene. This is my partner, Mike Clancy. May I ask how you got into this house? Why, there was a kitchen window open. I didn't want to ring the front doorbell because I thought that Laura wouldn't let me in. We'd quarreled like a couple of silly kids. And she'd left me. I've come back to apologize to her. Saints preserve us, but he hasn't even heard. Heard what? Sit down, John. What is it? Why are you both looking at me like that? Where have you been for the past two days? I was so miserable after our quarrel. I went to a little town near Philadelphia. That explains why you didn't learn of the tragedy. What tragedy? It's going to be a shock, John, so prepare yourself. Your wife, Laura, was murdered. Laura? Murdered? By a maniac. No. No, I don't believe it. It's true. And I'm sorry. One of your father-in-law's patients, an insane woman, escaped from the hospital. And they think she attacked your wife. I should never have let Laura leave our apartment. It's all my fault, Mr. Keene. Sometimes fate works out things in her own peculiar way, John. And you think it was that maniac who killed Laura? Well, that's the general opinion. Well, it isn't my opinion. What do you mean, John? Mr. Keene, a few days ago, Laura was troubled by something important she wanted to tell her father. She started to tell me about it when I got home. But I interrupted her, and that's when we had our quarrel. You don't know what it was that worried your wife? I can guess. We fought because I was jealous, Mr. Keene. Jealous of a man named Arthur Halliday. And who is he, John? He used to be a medical student at the university in town. 
Dr. Prentice is a member of the examining board in that university. The board that passes on a student's character before he's permitted to graduate as a doctor. Yes, go on. Halliday drank a lot. Gambled. Examining board found out and dismissed him from the medical school. They decided he was too weak to accept the responsibility a doctor must take. You say you were jealous of this Arthur Halliday? Yes, Mr. Keene. He, he used to see a lot of Laura before we were married. The other day, I saw them together on the street. She never told me she was seeing him. Now it's beginning to be clear to me. Halliday was probably trying to use Laura's influence with her father to have himself reinstated at the medical school. She refused and he made a threat. That's what she wanted to tell her father, Dr. Prentice, about. Well, you don't mind my saying so, John. You're taking a lot for granted. But it is worthwhile looking into, isn't it, Mr. Keene? If I ever find out that Arthur Halliday was responsible for Laura's death, I'll... Well, you look a little pale, young fella. News is too much to show a shock for him, Mike. Would you like to lie down inside for a while, John? Yes, sir. I think I'd better. I'll be all right, Mr. Keene. I, I just want to be alone for a few minutes. I'll answer that, Mike. Is, is Dr. Prentice in, please? No, not at the moment. My name is Maud Craven. Craven? Mr. Keene, she must be related to that insane patient who escaped. She's my sister, sir. Come in, Miss Craven. My name is Keene. I happen to be looking for your sister. Mr. Keene, the famous investigator? Oh, you won't put Nettie in prison, will you, sir? She doesn't realize what she's doing. All I want is to return her to the hospital where she belongs. I know they're looking for Nettie. They think she murdered the doctor's daughter, Laura. I came here to tell Dr. Prentice... How unhappy it made me when I heard about what happened. You know where your sister may have hidden, Miss Craven? If I did, Mr. Keene, I'd call the hospital. I know how dangerous Nettie is. I don't want to give her the chance to do to someone else what she did to poor Miss Laura. Excuse me for a moment, please. Hello? Dr. Prentice? He's not in the moment. Who's calling, please? Arthur Halliday. When will I be able to reach him? Why, very shortly. Is it important? I'll say it's important. To me, anyway. I... Who is this? A friend of the doctor. Well, you can give him this message. He's kicked me around long enough. Because of him, I can't get into a medical school in the country. And if he doesn't stop hounding me, I'll square accounts. Hello? 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 Who is that, Mr. King? That's Arthur Halliday, Mike. A young medical student Don Digby told us about. I wish I could have gotten his address. But if he was a student in the town university, they can tell you where to reach him, Mr. Keene. If you want me to, I'll... <gasps> what is it, Miss Craven? The, the window. Sans preservers. There's someone outside, boss. Yes, she's staring in the window. Look at that face. She looks like an animal. It's Nettie. It's my sister. Grab her, Mike. Mr. Keene. Isn't she there? There's no one in sight, sir. She's disappeared like a ghost, boss. It's too dark out here to see where she went. She couldn't have gotten far, Mike. Something tells me she's still close by. Come on. We're going to search every inch of these grounds. Mr. Keene, the great investigator, and his partner, Mike Clancy, are investigating the murder of Laura Digby, the married daughter of a well-known physician, Dr. Prentice, who's attached to a hospital for the insane. One of the patients, an insane woman named Nettie Craven, escaped from the hospital. And she's the one who was under suspicion for the crime. 
Now, Mike and Mr. Keene have just seen Nettie's face peering in through a window of Dr. Prentice's home. And as they search the grounds for her... She was standing right over here, Mr. Keene, near this window. Yes, she was, Mike, but I don't see any footprints. It's starting to snow, boss. Well, we better go back inside the house. Maybe Nettie Craven managed to slip away after all. Mike! Yes, boss? Come over here for a moment. Look at this. Why, it's a pair of doors leading right into the ground. No, it doesn't lead into the ground, Mike. It probably leads into the cellar of the house. Some of these old-fashioned houses have cellars built this way. Uh, see if you can open it, Mike. Well, I'd try. No. No, it won't budge, Mr. Kane. Nettie must have bolted it on the inside. You think she's hiding in there? Yes. By now, she must be somewhere inside the house, Mike. Here, let me have your handcuffs. Here, here you are, Mr. Kane. Put these handcuffs through the rings on the cellar doors. Lock them from the outside. There we are, Mike. Now she won't be able to get out the way she came in. Now let's go back inside the house and find her. Mr. Keene, did you find my sister, Nettie? Not yet, Miss Craven. We think she's got inside the house through the cellar. She's in here? Why, you're not afraid of your sister, are you? I don't know, Mr. Keene. I used to be able to reason with Nettie, but lately she's been so violent. You better stay right here in the living room while we make a search, Miss Craven. First, Mike, we'll phone the police in the hospital and tell them to send help. Well, here's the telephone, boss. It's funny. What's the trouble, Mike? It sounds like the phone is dead. Just a minute. Let's see where the phone wire runs to. Goes to this wall... And runs along the woodwork to the window. Uh, open up the window, Mike. Well, Mr. King, the phone wire has been pulled right out of the outside wall. Mike, this window faces the side of the house where we saw Nettie Craven. Well, then Nettie Craven must have pulled the phone wire out just before she went through the cellar doors, Mr. King. There's a car coming down the driveway, Mike. Well, he's not coming all the way, boss. Stopping on top of that small hill where the driveway goes up and turns out to the main road. That's peculiar. Now he's put his headlights out. Mike, uh, search this house. See if you can find Nettie Craven. But be careful. I will, Mr. Keene. Get hold of John Digby to help you. I'm going outside again and see what our latest visitor is up to. Who's there? Who are you? My name is Halliday. Arthur Halliday, the medical student? The ex-medical student. If it wasn't for Dr. Prentice, I might have been practicing now. If your character had been what it should have, Dr. Prentice and the school board wouldn't have stood in your way. You must be the man I talked to on the phone a few minutes ago. That's right. My name is Keene. Get out of my way. It's Prentice I want to see. Now, just a moment. You happen to know that Dr. Prentice's daughter, Laura... Has been murdered. Laura. Murdered? You didn't read about it in the papers? I... I just got back from New Orleans. I tried to get into another medical school down there, but they wouldn't have me. That's Dr. Prentice's fault, too. 
When a man has a bad reputation, it travels fast, Halliday. I'm not asking you for your opinion, Keen. I asked Laura to help me, but she wouldn't. So I decided to take matters into my own hands. Now get out of my way before I shoot. I had a feeling you were rather stealthy about your movements. Parking your car up there in the hill. And sneaking down Dr. Prentice's driveway in the dark. That gun you have seems to bear me out. I'm going to get square, see? Prentice is my enemy. And if it's the last thing I do... Look out behind you, Halliday. Don't try and trick me. Your car, it's running wild. What? Jump, Halliday. And that's the first portion of Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons. Put him over here on this couch, Mike. Easy now. His car rolled down the hill and smashed into the house after hitting Halliday. I don't think he's seriously injured, just stunned. I managed to push him partly out of the way. Well, Mr. Keene, how could a man be dumb enough to park a car in a hill with his handbrake off? The brake was on when I left it. Did you hear what he said, boss? Yes, Mike. That means someone deliberately released that handbrake, hoping the car would roll down and kill the two of us. Where are John Digby and Maud Craven? Here I am, Mr. Keene. What's happened? This man's been hurt, Miss Craven. Where have you been? I, I heard a noise upstairs and I went up to investigate. I hoped that I might be able to reason with my sister Nettie and save you trouble, Mr. Keene. You haven't left this house? No, Mr. Keene. Where's John Digby, Mike? Well, he wasn't in that bedroom where he went to lie down, boss. So I started to search the house by myself. And just as I started down into the cellar, I heard the car crash and I... <laughs> ran up. Chance preserve us. What was that? Mr. Keene, <laughs> Sounded like my sister, Nettie. Sounds like an insane person, all right. Enough to kill you to the marrow. Just listen to her. It's coming from the cellar, Mike. Come on, let's get down there immediately. Mr. Keene, stay where you are. For heaven's sake, don't move. It's John Digby, boss. Nettie Craven's standing behind him, Mike, with an axe in her hands. <laughs> yes, I'm Nettie Craven. Don't move, either of you. 
Do as she says, Mr. Keene. Or she'll bury that axe in the back of my head. Nettie, why do you want to harm John Digby? Who are you? I'm a friend of yours, Nettie. Are you? <laughs> Won't you put that axe down so we can talk? <laughs> I can talk with the axe in my hand. Where's Dr. Prattis? He's not here, Nettie. It's all they ever do is lie to me. Where is he? I told you, Dr. Prentice is not here. Tell him his patient is here. Tell him the most beautiful patient he ever had is waiting for him. She's as mad as a hatter, Mr. Keene. Mad, am I? I'll show you who's mad! Nettie, wait. I think you're very clever, Nettie. <laughs> There's a man with sense. How long have you been hiding here in Dr. Prentice's house? None of your business. You know that it's snowing very hard outside? Snowing? Wasn't snowing when I came in? No, you'll need rubbers when you go home, or you'll catch a cold. Yes, I will. Wouldn't you like us to take you home in a car? A big car? A very big one. Where do you want us to take you? I want to see Dr. Prentice. Why? I... I don't know. I had a reason. I forget it now. Nettie, do you want that ride? In the car? Yes. Yes, I'd love it. Then put the axe down. <laughs> She's dropped the axe. Grab her. Let me handle this, John. Nettie, did you kill Dr. Prince's daughter, Laura? I never killed anyone. But you once threatened Dr. Prentice, didn't you? Nettie? Nettie, what are you doing down there? Maud! It's my sister, Maud! Oh. oh, thank heaven you found her, Mr. Keene. Is everything all right? Yes, Miss Craven. Mike, you have an extra pair of handcuffs, haven't you? Oh, you, you're not going to handcuff my sister, Nettie, are you? No, I believe I can handle Nettie with a little psychology. We're going to handcuff you, Maud Craven. Me? Put them on her, Mike. What for? The murder of Laura Digby. Oh, it's a lie! A few moments ago, you told me you never left that living room, Maud Craven. Yet your shoes were wet, and I saw snowflakes in your hair. You were outside the house. And you released the handbrake on Arthur Halliday's car. It was Nettie. She did it. No, more. I know that your sister, Nettie, has been inside since it started snowing, because her shoes are dry. The one who released that car brake and tried to kill Halliday and me was the one who murdered Dr. Prentice's daughter, Laura. You can't prove I did that. No. Well, we'll see. There are fingerprints on that brake handle, no doubt. And I have a hunch they'll match with yours. But I was wearing gloves. Yes. Of course you were. However, that admission is all I needed. <laughs> oh, you tricked me. You tricked me, Mr. Keene, just now the way Dr. Prentice did. How did he trick you? I thought he was in love with me, but he was only leading me on. <laughs> I knew you fell for him, Maud. I knew it all the time. You used to be there when he came to see me at the hospital to talk to me. I could see it in your eyes. <laughs> but he didn't fall for you. That's right, Nettie. Stand up for him. One of the reasons I wanted to get rid of him was because of you. Don't you see, Nettie? Dr. Prentice was the one who said you were insane. He put you in that hospital. You know you hated him. Mr. Keene, look at Maud Craven's eyes. She looks as crazy as her sister Nettie. Yes, I know, John. 
Yes, that both sisters are hopelessly insane. You fools, you idiots! If you try to turn me in, you'll get what Laura got! So that's why you murdered Laura. She must have found out about your mental condition. and was going to tell her father. Yes. That must have been why Laura was worried, Mr. Keene. Exactly, John. Your wife, Laura, found out that Maud Craven was as insane as her sister. But before she could inform the doctor, Maud entered the house and killed her. <laughs> Is Maud coming with us now? Yes, Nettie, she's coming with you. <laughs> she's going to stay with you in the mental hospital. But I think we can take both of them away and consider the case of the Rushville murder as closed. <laughs> And so Mr. Keene finds the solution to the case of the Rushville murder. Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, is based on the novel Mr. Keene. The radio sequel is originated and produced by Frank and Ann Hummert. Dialogue by Lawrence Clee. Bennett Kilpike plays Mr. Keene. It is on the air every Thursday at this time. Don't miss Mr. Keene next Thursday when the kindly old tracer turns to the case of murder on the sightseeing bus. And that's Mr. Keene, tracer of lost persons from January 5th, 1950, with a case of the Rushville murder starring Bennett Kilpack. The announcer on that was Larry Elliott. We had all kinds of sponsors, including Anison, and it was heard on CBS. Before we tune into the Burns and Allen Show, I do want to remind all of our listeners about our website. It's Hollywood360radio.com. And when you go there, there's our uh, podcast, uh, which is always one week behind because we want all of our radio stations to get the brightest and shiniest edition of Hollywood 360. And when you go to Hollywood360radio.com, you're going to see a pop-up. For our newest and greatest offer for our listeners, it's our Classic Radio Club. Now, I'm really, really excited, Mike, about the Classic Radio Club. Lots and lots of people are signing up. Now, we started this a few weeks ago, and it's really a club for our listeners. So our listeners can join this club and receive five CDs each and every month in a collector case. Now, these are not burned CDs. These are replicated CDs by a CD replication company. These are like you would buy CDs in a store. It's in a collector case, five CDs with 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. And I will be hand-selecting these 10 shows each and every month. Now, the first time when you join... The Classic Radio Club, you will get this five-CD collection with ten classic radio shows for only $4.99 plus shipping and handling. Its retail value is $39.95. Then you'll get a new five-CD set with ten different classic radio shows every single month for $14.99 plus shipping and handling unless you cancel. So do check this out because... I am selecting the greatest shows from my library of over 100,000 classic radio shows, the best quality, most interesting shows, shows that maybe you have not heard on the air here or maybe have not been heard since they were originally broadcast in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Do check it out, ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. 
com. All right, time now for Burns and Allen. Let's go back to January 11, 1950. On this show, Gracie tries to help a friend win a movie job. Let's check this out, part one of the Burns and Allen show. Are you reducing tooth decay with Amident ammoniated toothpaste? Well, answer the man, George. Of course, Gracie. I use Amident twice a day. You can smile when you say that. Yes, it's the Amadent Show, transcribed in Hollywood and starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, B. Benaderet, Hal March, Gerald Moore, Marvin Miller, Joan Ray, Harry Lubin, and the Amadent Orchestra. For healthy laughter, it's George and Gracie. And for healthier teeth, for fewer cavities, it's Amadent Toothpaste. Well, as the new half-century gets underway, the favorite pastime seems to be choosing the outstanding men of the last half-century. Magazines and newspapers have published their selections, but Gracie seems to think one important name has been omitted. Thomas Edison, Winston Churchill. How can they pick men like that to head the list? I'm interested to know, Gracie. Who's your choice? Need you ask, George? I'm thinking of a man whose glorious romantic voice has thrilled millions. The birds are sweetly singing and perfume flowers are bringing in the winds of night. A man whose charm and talent are world famous. Gracie, this is getting embarrassing. Only one man should top this list, Charles Boyer. <laughs> Charles Boyer? Mm-hmm. You put him ahead of Edison? Yep. Edison invented electric lights. With Boyer, who needs them? <laughs> I see there are there's some pretty great men on this list. Not as great as Boyer. Well, look at these names. Arturo Toscanini, conductor. How do you like that? A man who punches transfers. <laughs> he happens to be a musical conductor. All right, so he hums while he punches transfers. Hums Dardanella. And here, here's another one, Einstein. Now, what did he do? Einstein? Yeah. What did he do? Uh-huh. He's the father of relativity. Oh, what does she do? Relativity Einstein? Yeah. She's with Warner Brothers. <laughs> you know, Gracie, for a minute there, instead of Boyer, I thought that you thought that I belonged on that list of great men. Oh, oh, well, you see, George, you're my husband, and I don't think of you as a man. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I mean, I, I don't think of you as a man who does anything. <laughs> thanks again. I mean, I don't think of you as a man who does anything romantic. A triple thanks and stop thinking about it. Oh, now I've hurt your feelings. And I didn't mean to, George. You know, I'd rather be married to you than any man on this list. Churchill, Edison, Stalin, Hitler. You have just earned my fourth thank you. Come in. Sam the tailor at your service. Oh, hello, Sam. Hi, Sam. Likewise. Here is the suit which you wanted pressed, Mr. Boynton. Also, I took the liberty of bringing in your mail. Mm. Oh, thank you, Sam. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll take the mail in the den and look through it. Indubitably. <laughs> hey, Sam, there's a spot on this suit. 
That, Mr. Boynes, is a smoked sturgeon spot and absolutely will not come out. <laughs> when a man is having smoked sturgeon for dinner, he shouldn't wear this light suit. You're mistaken. There was no smoked sturgeon dropped on this suit. Mr. Boynes, please. I know what I had for dinner last night. <laughs> you wore my suit? Only as a gag. My wife is not feeling well, and I wanted she should have a laugh. She hasn't seen a suit like this since she was a little girl. <laughs> Say, Sam, I just realized something. You spoke of your wife. As long as I've as long as I've known you, you've never mentioned her. Have you ever seen my wife? No. If you had, you wouldn't mention her either. <laughs> I'll bet she's nice. Nice she is. Very high class woman. Pillow of society. I think you mean pillar, not pillow. Have you seen my wife? <laughs> Okay, forget it. How much do I owe you? Oh, there's no hurry about that. I'll send you a statement to Foist. Okay. The first thing in the morning. <laughs> I'm glad my credit is good. Goodbye, Sam. Toodle-doo, Mr. Boyd. Toodle-doo, Sam. Oh, George. George, I have exciting news. This letter is from Hazel Kelly, an old friend of mine from San Francisco. She arrives in Hollywood tonight with her daughter, Margaret. Oh, good. Oh, we'll, we'll have to watch Bill Goodwin. Margaret is just the type Bill goes for. Really? Yeah. She's a girl. <laughs> That's Bill's type, all right. Uh, not only that, Margaret is a movie star. Never heard of a movie star named Margaret Kelly. Well, uh, she's not exactly a movie star yet, but uh, she's been promised a contract. By whom? Me. <laughs> you? I promised you'd get it for her. You said that I would get a movie? Are you out of your mind? I'm as sane as ever. Thanks for answering my question. <laughs> How do you know this girl is pretty enough to get into the movies? Have you ever seen her? No, but I, I, I've seen her mother. Well, lots of times, mothers and daughters look nothing alike. Well, then stop worrying. Her mother looks terrible. <laughs> uh, meet the girl at the train and send her back to San Francisco. But just think, George, you can give Margaret her start in show business like you did me. Remember 17 years ago? You said you'd try me out and if I made good, you'd pay me? Yeah. And, George, I'll make good if it kills me. You're coming along fast. But I still can't get that Kelly girl into the movies. Oh, sure you can. All she'll have to do is pick up a tube of Amadon toothpaste and squeeze a signature on the contract. She'll sign her name with Amadon? Well, that's your idea, George. You told me the smartest thing you ever did was sign a contract with Amadon toothpaste. <laughs> Gracie, I can't get this girl a contract. I'm going up and change, honey. Bill Goodwin is coming by to pick me up. What for? We're going out to Hillcrest. He wants to hit a few golf balls with me. Oh, no. You make him use the club. You'll <laughs> be so disappointed. Come on, George. Let's get going. Sorry to keep you waiting, Bill. I had a session with Gracie. Oh, no wonder you're looking low. Well, I got a joke that'll cheer you up, George. Did you hear about the Australian who got a new boomerang for Christmas? No. He went crazy trying to throw the old one away. <laughs> That's a good joke, Bill. That's a very, very funny joke. You liked it, huh? Yeah. How about a raise? Of course, it's been a funny joke for years. <laughs> I'm dead. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Bill. If you beat me at golf today, I'll give you a raise. No strokes, no handicaps? No strokes, no handicaps. The man with the lowest score 
wins. It's a deal. Okay, I'll play nine holes and you play 18. <laughs> you know, Sefton, I can still win. I forgot to mention you're playing left-handed. <laughs> I can still win. How about nunnies? <laughs> okay, let's go. Right. Come on. Say, by the way, what, what was your session with Gracie about? Oh, uh, she, she thinks it's a very simple matter to get a girl in the movies. Well, it is. I've gotten dozens of girls in the movies. Really? How? I just went to the movies and got them. Oh, <laughs> I had my best look in the balcony. Yeah. I'd go up to hold it. Hold it. <laughs> I'm talking about getting a girl a contract in the movies. Oh. Oh, yeah. Gracie promised some old friend that we'd get her daughter in the movies. But I talked her out of it. Well, that's what you think, chum. When I saw Gracie a half hour ago, she was headed for MGM to talk to Mr. Pasternak. Oh, no. We'd better get out there. Gracie will make a wreck out of that man. Oh, relax, George. She's been talking to you for years now, and it hasn't... Let's hurry. Let's hurry. Mr. Pasternak, we'll see you now, Miss Allen. Oh, thank you. Gracie, come in, come in. Hello, Mr. Pasternak. My goodness, I haven't seen you since you worked in that picture I produced. <laughs> I'll never forget that scatterbrain character you played. <laughs> Incidentally, that picture did fine at the box office. Well, you should have shown it in the theater. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the character. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a treat to talk to you as you are in real life. Just an average, normal woman? Yeah. Well, I, I won't take a minute of your time. I just want you to sign a contract for the uh, brilliant new actress I've discovered, Margaret Kelly. She arrives from San Francisco this afternoon. Hmm. Margaret Kelly. she on the stage? No, she's coming by train. <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, is she on the legitimate stage? You know what I mean by legitimate stage. Well, I, I guess that's when the horses that are pulling it are married. Uh, has this girl had experience acting in the theater? Oh, yes, and she's beautiful. She's sort of a combination Hetty Lamar, Betty Grable, and Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien? She's Irish. <laughs> if she's so beautiful, I'm surprised some scout hasn't picked her up Oh, now, Mr. Pasternak, scouts don't do things like that They go on hikes and build fires by rubbing their legs together <laughs> You know, I've got a sneaking suspicion that wasn't a character you played in my picture <laughs> I almost recommended that you get an Oscar Oh, thanks, but I'm happy with George <laughs> That's the first portion of the Burns and Allen Show. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality 
and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time, it's the conclusion to the Burns and Allen show from 1950. Then, Joel McRae stars in Tales of the Texas Rangers. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.